Welcome to worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of His Word in today's message. Church, as we continue to worship this morning, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, specifically verses 11 through 18. 1 John chapter 3, we welcome all of our guests that are here this morning. We're journeying this summer through 1 John. You could take your pew Bible that's in front of you and turn to page 1022, and that's going to get you to 1 John chapter 3 also. There's so much good music in the world, so much good music that we're able to sing as a church. There's so much good music in sort of the soundtrack of our lives. Music that we love, music that describes so much of what we experience in life that's close to us. All of us probably have a top 10, top 20 list of songs that are deeply meaningful to us. And I would imagine that many of us, myself, first and foremost, have songs that I'm just not particularly fond of. Uh, Kind of throwaway songs, songs that sort of get under my skin Maybe you're driving and there's a playlist that's going on Spotify and there's a song that comes on. And every time you hear that song, your instinctual response is to press skip. What are those songs? Well, there are a couple for me. One of them is an old song uh, by the Beatles, John Lennon's song that is uh, the song, All You Need Is Love. You know that song? Of course you know that song. All you need is love, 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 all you need is love. These are the lyrics of the song. Love is all you need, 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 everybody together. That's the gist of the song. It's a a silly song. It's not intended to be a serious song. It was a a song that was uh, brought not to one of the albums of the Beatles. Now I say this as one who's appreciative of the Fab Four from Liverpool, but this song particularly is a song that I've just never been all that fond of. And one part of it is because it it gets to the heart of of what's so basic to the human experience. All you need is love, but it begs the question, what is love? I mean, we live in a day and age where you will hear the word love used with tremendous authority. Love gets, love gets used for all kinds of human experiences that you would have and I would have. I mean, we can, in one conversation, talk about our love for Auburn football or Alabama football or Samford football. I love it. And then in the same breath, you can say, I love my spouse of 50 years, or I love my children, or I love my dog. And the same word can be used for an appetizer at your favorite restaurant. That's the same word you're going to use. So in a day and age where we would hear all you need is love, we really need to ask the question, what then is the love that we're describing? Thankfully, we don't have to look back to a John Lennon song 60 years ago to answer that question. But the word of the Lord speaks so clearly. What is the love that we need? What is the love that overflows? Hear the word of the Lord this morning in 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 
We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. It's a word that speaks a a word of love and the centrality of love for our lives that are here this morning that are captivated by the love that we've received supremely in the sacrifice of Jesus. Two central truths that I want you to to hear this morning from this passage. And the, the first is that our central message is a message of love. In verse 11, John says, let me take you back to the beginning. This is a message that you've heard from the beginning, a message that love is essential Now, what does he mean? Is he he backing us up to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? We're going to hear a story of Cain and Abel in just a few verses here. But I don't think that that John is hearkening us back to the the beginning. Rather, he, he is saying as followers of Christ living in Ephesus, be reminded of the centrality of the message of love that Jesus himself gave to us while he was here. Be reminded of the basics of your faith. Be reminded of the foundation of who we are called to be. Lovers of God and lovers of others are neighbors. I think when he says, be reminded of the message that you've heard from the beginning, he's going back to the question that was asked to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, what was the greatest of the commandments? And here we have the religious leaders trying to pin down Jesus in this moment. And he gives us in in many of the gospels, but specifically here in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So often we, we, sort of hunger for new information. We hunger for a new book. We hunger for a new seminar. We hunger for a new sliver of truth that if we would unearth this, it would, it would unlock this next chapter of faithfulness in our lives. And if we could just get this secret knowledge that no one else has, then we could have freedom in our Christian life. Then we could walk in step with him. And so often what John is saying here is what we need to hear. Go back to the beginning. Go back to what is basic. Go back to what is foundational. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the central message of the Christian gospel upon us as we've received his love. So we love God in response and we love others 
Love is essential, but love is personal. Notice in this passage that we're called, verse 11, to love one another. Again, this goes back to Jesus' teachings there in Matthew chapter 22. Love is not theoretical. Uh, There's an old slogan, I I, I love humanity, it's people I can't stand. Have you ever heard that? And we sort of, we can relate to this, but where the rubber hits the road when it comes to love is that love is not first and foremost a noun for us to dissect, but it is a verb for us to live. It, it, is, it is a love that we've received in God that overflows in the specificity of the messiness of our home life, our work life, our church life. Love overflows from what we've received in Christ. It overflows to our neighbors. It overflows to our family and even to strangers. And so in this passage here, John says, I want you to go down the road of love and I want you to follow that road. But we might ask the question, well, what does it not look like? And and John is, is really eager to tell us, there is a road that I do not want you to travel. And that is the road of this counter example that he puts in this passage of the, of the story of Cain and Abel. And it's in this moment we say, boy, this was, this was such a beautiful passage here. Why, why insert this homicidal story of a, of a jealous brother. Well, I think it's because the spirit of God wants us to know that when we're traveling down this road of anger, resentment, frustration, and jealousy, it is always a dead end road that will not lead to the love that God calls us to live in. So sometimes the, the best way to describe what something is, is to be able to point out what it is not. And here John tells us in this passage, verse 12, hey, you should not be like Cain. We go back to Genesis chapter four, where the the fall of Adam and Eve spills out into their families. And one of the first examples of, of what sin is going to do is it fractures something that is so foundational as the family ties of a two brothers. Cain and Abel both bring offerings to God. Abel is pleasing to God. Cain's is not. John inserts this question here in verse 12, why did Cain murder him? You see, Genesis chapter four doesn't give us all of the details of the motivations that lie behind Cain's actions here. But here he says, John that is in verse 12, because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. We get into a little bit of the psychological exploration of what's happening in Genesis chapter four. Cain sees how God responds to his offering. And in this moment, he realizes, Cain that is, that his offering was not from a pure heart. It was not of his best. And he is jealous. He is bitter. He is resentful that God would approve the offering of his brothers while disapproving his offering. And it's in this moment that hatred springs forth, but that murderous action has behind it, it has behind it resentment, jealousy, bitterness. And most of us here in the sanctuary, our temptation this morning is not to go home frustrated with the spouse or frustrated with children that would then lead to this homicidal action. Most of us, that is not the temptation of the sanctuary here, but we know what lies behind those actions. We know that underneath in sort of the dark recesses of our soul, 
That while our actions maybe never go down the road of Cain, we know the motivations that lie behind them. This is why Jesus talks about the heart so much. In verse 15 of 1 John, John would tell us, verse verse 3, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. What John is doing is echoing the very words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, you see it on the screen here. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. The greatest threat, Christian, for us is that, that, that anger and resentment and pettiness and bitterness that lurks underneath. Sometimes it lurks underneath the seats of our soul. And if we don't clean that out on a regular basis, it, there will be a stench that rises up that corrupts our own heart. And this is not the path of love. When, when our boys were younger, one of, the, one of the reoccurring things that we would do is we'd put them in their car seats and they would have their sippy cups. You remember that for grandparents in this room and parents in this room? Oftentimes we'd have milk in those sippy cups. We'd go to wherever the destination was, come back. Sometimes it'd be late. We'd be getting all of the things out of the van that we had at that time. We'd clean out the van, bring the kids in. And the next morning, especially the morning of these hot June and Julys that we experienced, you would open up the door of the van and the stench would knock you down. You know why? Because in the midst of cleaning out the van, we, we, we didn't see that, that one of those sippy cups that had a little residue of milk that was still in it had slipped under one of the seats and it just lie in wait and it spoiled. And it was a hard smell that some of you know. I think that happens. It happens in the seats of our own soul. It happens in those deep, dark places where we allow resentment and anger and bitterness and frustration to well up. And and when we don't allow the light of the spirit of God to, to shine on those places and to clean out those places through the confession of sin and the repentance away from the path of Cain, that can, that can stench up our souls. And you, you know that because you've experienced that. We all have in some form, in some fashion. And here Jesus tells us, again, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, there's a way to, to cleanse ourselves of this temptation. And that is three, well, hear the word of the Lord. You've heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew chapter five, oftentimes our enemies are not people that we see on the television that are far, far away. Sometimes our enemies are the people that live in our same homes, coworkers, people with the same last name, where the, the stench of resentment and bitterness and anger begins to well up in our soul. 
And so what Jesus says here is that there's a way, there's a way to move forward, to be cleansed, and that is through prayer. And certainly we would say what 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But in this passage, Jesus is specifically saying to those people we harbor resentment, to those people that maybe don't like us, that he gives us this path purification, which is a path of prayer. What would this week look like to those people who maybe we, we, we have some animosity toward or they have some animosity toward us and we just committed this week to bring them to the Lord in regular prayer? I'm not telling you this is a magic wand. I'm not telling you this is going to, to allow you to go back in time and rewind and redo words that were said that you wish you could unsay. Uh, sometimes there are times in life where, where the, our, our words and our actions, they, they do take down a, a bridge. And sometimes the restoration and proximity to people is not the goal, but what is the goal to stand before the Lord and to follow him in his word. And so what would it look like this week if you took that person and, and you, you just brought them to the Lord in prayer and it's a person that maybe you harbor bitterness towards, a person that you harbor some anger toward and just every morning you say, Lord bless and you fill in the blank. Lord, keep them. Lord, make your face to shine upon them this very week. And you do that a day in and day out, day in and day out. Do you, do you think that the Lord might soften your heart? to that person? I think the answer is yes. Do you think God would begin to do a work in your heart? Even in that relationship, I think the answer is yes. Love is our central message, but love is our central command. Look with me at verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You know, it's interesting that the, the verses and chapters of our Bible are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. These are added by editors and translators year, I mean, literally centuries after the uh, original writing of these letters and then even the original translations of them. So, so but, but there's unique symmetries and the unique connections and don't miss this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 has a, has a beautiful corollary passage that is really one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, which is what? John 3.16. So John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life is connected to this passage because John 3.16 is a demonstration of God's love to us. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 is sort of the tales of that passage. Was an, it is an explanation of love. In light of God's love, so we are called to give ourselves for others. So in a world that overuses love, we know what love is. Look to the cross. Look to what Jesus has done. This is the definition of what love is. And then also we ask the question, well, how do we love Look to the cross. Notice in this passage, it says that we, as Jesus has laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now, this begs a question, is the only way for us to love someone, is the only way for us to love someone is to sacrifice our lives for that person? 
Is this what John is telling us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16? Well, of course, we can't die for someone's sins. That is a once and for all act accomplished on the cross by Jesus. So there is a differentiation between God's love displayed by Jesus and our love as recipients of what he has done on the cross. So we don't need to get the wrong ideas of this. In this passage here, there are times where we, we can think of extreme examples of love. And, and, and it very well may be that, that some of us in this sanctuary might have to come to those moments where we have to make in, in, a, in a moment's notice, we have to make this instinctual decision to choose the path of love. And they are men and women that, that have to, in those moments, they have to run into a burning building for the name of love. There are times that we can think of a, of a child in these horrendous situations where they're swept in a, a rip current and, and the dad or the mother or the brother or the sister, they, they run into the water and they begin to furiously swim out to save them. We, we do have cliches, I, I would take a bullet for you, but most of us, we're not going to travel down those roads. This sort of cinematic go out in a blaze of glory, I don't actually think that that's supremely what John is talking about here. That can happen and we could travel down that road, but most likely the love that is going to be displayed is the love that is ordinary and everyday. It's a love that is displayed in the mundane. It's, it's choosing to serve instead of choosing our selfishness. It's putting others' needs in, in, in front of our own. It is showing the love of God by putting aside our preferences, not solely bowing down to what is convenient and what is scheduled. This is actually where this passage takes us. In verse 17, what form of love is displayed? Well, his sacrifice proves his love for us and our service, my friends, it displays our love for him. Look with me in verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? One of the primary ways that we display the love of Jesus is by being generous with the resources that he's entrusted to us. I mean, we can think of other ways. No doubt we can think of other ways that we can show love. We can think about being a, a, a listening ear to someone who is going through a difficult time. Yes, that's loving. We can think of writing an encouraging note. Yes, that is loving here. We can think of being present in the midst of someone's need. Yes, that's loving, but don't wiggle your way out of this passage. This passage says to us, and it's an invitation to us to be reminded that one of the ways that the love of Jesus is displayed is by seeing the needs that are around us and sacrificially meeting those needs through the provisions that God has entrusted to us by being generous with our time, being generous with our financial resources and seeing needs and meeting those needs. And to do that in the name of Jesus is one of the ways that we will display to an unbelieving world, the difference that God has made in our life through his love that he has sent to us and has captured our heart through Jesus. And this is a part of our heritage as Christians. This is a part of our history. Years ago, I read Rodney Stark's book. It's a helpful book called The Rise of Christianity. And in it, he, he asked the question, how did a small group of followers of Jesus 
in the years after grow into this worldwide movement? How did that happen? And if you just ask the question in another way, after the ascension of Jesus, you have a handful of followers. And if you fast forward to 350 AD, there are 34 million followers of Jesus Christ. This is exponential growth. How did this happen? So Rodney Stark talks about two particular ways that Christians set themselves apart in that world that was hostile and ignorant at times, and at times antithetical to the message of the gospel. There are two pandemics that occur in the Roman Empire. The first is in the second century. The uh, the second one is in the fourth century. And one of the ways that, that Christians built a reputation is they built a reputation because they cared not only for their family members who were sick, but they took in others who were sent out of their homes. One of the primary ways in the Roman Empire that people treated sickness was to kick their family members out of the home. And Christians would, in the name of Jesus, take them into their homes. There's a fourth century Roman emperor by the name of Julian, who we have this letter as he's writing and he's complaining about Christians. And one of the reasons he complains about Christians is they take care of their own people, but they also take care of the people who don't agree with them. And what Julian is saying is, is that the the love of these Christians is something that is wholly unique. They see needs and they meet needs. Now I know it's really fashionable in the 21st century to point out all the failures of Christianity. Um, You you can find no shortage of op-eds, no shortage of, of articles that will point out the failures of the Christian church, the inconsistencies and the hypocrisy. And as Christians, we must own that. And that is a part of our heritage. We are sinners, no doubt. And there are failures and there are, there are many examples of that. But we also, to be fair with our heritage, must also see that at the, at the best part of the heritage is these types of passages that had captivated Christians and they saw needs and they met needs and it gave them a platform to share about the love that had enraptured their hearts. I mean, think about hospitals. By the fourth century and the fifth century, Christians are planting hospitals in the east and in the west. They're sanatoriums that are built for for leper colonies and they're done by Christians. And even here in Birmingham, Alabama, and frankly, in any city that has hospitals, you have vestiges of the faith element of those hospitals. I mean, you've got Baptist health systems here. You've got Princeton and you've got Brookwood, you've got what you've got all the saints, St. Vincent, go to any other community that has hospitals and you're going to have, you're going to go to like a place like Jackson, Mississippi, and you're going to see St. Dominic's. And again, what is that? It's Christians who see needs and they meet those needs. Now that's not just a historical reality. It's not just a heritage, but it is a baton that that great cloud of witnesses passes down to us as Christians to say, what are the needs in your community? And what are the ways that you're going into the community and you're loving people? And as you love people, you tell them of the love of Jesus. We can think here at our church, 
of two wonderful ministries that so many of you are part of, Kids Connection and the Learning Center. Kids Connection, a ministry of our church just a mile and a half away, exists for the purpose of being able to meet physical needs of children in this community as a platform to pray for them and to tell them and their families about the love of Jesus Christ. And many of you are a part of those ministries like Kids Connection and you you volunteer in those ministries. I saw just this last week as I was preparing this message and I was thinking about practical ways and there was, a, there was an advertisement or it really wasn't an advertisement, it was just an the, a, a, a announcement of the need for Kids Connection that as we move into the school year, we need clothes for that ministry that are boys clothes, especially for seven-year-old through teenagers. I think there's some Christians in this room who say, if that's a need, I can meet that need. I'm doing some school shopping. And as I'm doing some school shopping here, I I think I can meet that need. And they're also, as they're making a a plea for what is needed, are books, chapter books, fiction and nonfiction books, and also balls, footballs and baseballs and soccer balls. And you get the point here. So you can look in our social media pages at at ways that you can be able to respond to those needs. And I think if we know of that need, hey, we can respond to that need. Or others in in the sanctuary here, you know of of the Learning Center. Again, another one of the ministries of our church that sees the the need of being able to, to supply educational tutoring to be able to meet the need of generational poverty that gets passed down from one generation to the next and to be able to break that cycle. And one way that cycle is broken is through the intervention of education. And many of you that are in the sanctuary, you've tutored in the learning center or you support the learning center through your faithful giving and praying. And these are just two examples and we could do a multitude of other examples of ways that this church is mobilized into our community for the sake of seeing needs and meeting those needs, going into the community, loving people to tell the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a heritage. It is a heritage, not just of Christians across the world, but it is a heritage of this church and that baton is being passed to you and to me. It is not enough for us to sit in these pews and to say, I am so thankful that when I give to this church, there are needs that are being met. Yes, praise God, of course we can celebrate that. And of course we could see how God is calling us to be be able to be a part of that. But you know as well as I do, that when you go home today, It very well may be in your own home, God is calling you to have fresh eyes, to see needs, and to show the love of Jesus. That when you go home in your neighborhood, to have fresh eyes, to pray, God, I wanna be a vessel. I wanna be a vessel in my neighborhood And maybe it's a neighbor that lives down the road that you just show the love of Jesus through intentional relationships. Maybe it's in your workplace. I don't know where it is, but I'm looking at hundreds of us that are called to be light and called to be salt. And we do this, why? We do this because the love of Jesus has captivated our hearts. So the last word of this passage gets the last word for us this morning. Little children. followers of Jesus Christ who received the love of Jesus, 
let us not love in word or in talk alone, but in deed and in truth. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our family of faith or to learn how to become a follower of Jesus, please visit DawsonChurch.org. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.